Hey, welcome to my podcast. This is Jackie. And today I am talking to you about who we really need for president. And no, it's not Trump or Biden. It's a woman, a mother. Her name is Mary. Today I'm sharing with you why Mary has my vote. Welcome to the Jackie Always Unplugged podcast, where we're having off-the-record conversations. I'm Reverend Dr. Jackie Reese, founder and president of the Marcella Project. As a pastor, preacher, and thought leader, I've walked with women of faith for decades and had thousands of conversations about what women encounter solely because they are women. At work, family, their faith, with relationships, sex, the church, their bodies, and Jesus. On this podcast, we're going to be asking hard questions, dealing with real issues, and revisiting scripture with a new lens. These conversations are going to put words to your female experience. They're going to ennoble you as Jesus intended and encourage you to bring your full self to the table. It's here we're going to reshape our view. Welcome back. Welcome back. Well, It's early voting, and like so many of you, I voted this week. And I got to be honest with you, I can't wait for this election to be over. I mean, social media, the news channels, the mudslinging, difficult conversations that we're having to have with loved ones who disagree, it's been downright exhausting. I need you to know, I'm not a big fan of Facebook, especially when it comes to serious dialogue. I actually don't think serious dialogue happens on Facebook, But it's always kind of fun to scroll through and keep up with what people are doing, who's got married and who had a baby and who got a new job and all those kinds of things, just keeping up with people. And this week, I came across a pastor friend of mine who posed this very playful question about the election. He asked, if you could vote for a Bible character for president other than Jesus, who would it be? And I thought, well, that's kind of a fun thought. Let me think about that. And You know, let me ask you, who would you write in? Who would you write in for the ticket? And you might even want to go over to my Facebook page, you know, the Jackie Always Unplugged, and post it there. It'd be kind of fun to see all of your answers. It was interesting seeing the answers that people posted on my pastor friend's thread. Guys, of course, filled in guys from the scripture. I mean, good guys like Moses and John and Paul, Abraham, David. A few people suggested Deborah and Esther, and I think they're both really good choices. But as soon as I heard or read, I should say, his question, like something immediately popped into my mind. I thought, oh, it's Mary. It's the mother of Jesus. Because mothering develops all kinds of skills in us, skills that a leader who runs the free world really needs. And so I quickly pounded out my thoughts, and here's what I said. Mary, the mother of Jesus, I imagine she had to figure out how to bring peace between her and Joseph's family due to their unwanted pregnancy, the guts she had to have to leave behind her home and travel like a refugee. She would bring great insight to our immigration problem. Her having to bring peace among Jesus and his brothers, who didn't really buy that Jesus was the Messiah, maybe she could help us with our bipartisan bickering. She must have known what it was like to survive as a widow. She might have something to say about wealth and poverty in America. She endured shame when when the community claimed her son was insane. We could use some humility right now. Can I get an amen on that? She stayed at the cross enduring loss, a loss that no parent wants to experience. She could teach us a few things about suffering as we swim in this American victorious theology. 
She rose to leadership in the early church. She had depth, real life experience, strength, courage, conviction. Oh, yeah. She had to figure out how to raise the Savior. And oh, how she must have been willing to rethink about what she thought she knew about God and her world. See, that woman could teach us a few things about life and leadership and endurance for the long game. I'd vote for Mary. That's what I posted. It was a playful post, and it got me thinking. Because those of you who are out there, and you're my friends, you know, I can't leave it on the surface. I've got to go deep and deeper and deeper. And so here's where my mind went from that simple little post. I got thinking about it. Women, we're half the population. Did you know that? We are half the population. And so I think it's time that we have a woman president. Time we have somebody who represents us women. Now, you got to be honest, guys. We've been patient, like 233 years patient. We've had 45 guys. It's time. It's time we elect a female president. And if the studies are correct, we're going to find that if we elect a female president, we're going to get something different. Years back, I attended this gathering in Dallas where eight female leaders were being honored for the high level of success they had achieved as leaders in their respective fields. And they were asked, do you think women make better leaders? And unanimously, they said, yes. Now, I have to be honest with you. When they said that, it made me a bit nervous I always get a little nervous when we elevate one gender above the other. I don't really care which it is. I just don't really feel comfortable with that. Because personally, I think God's vision for leadership is found in Genesis 1 and 2. And it's exactly what Carolyn Custis James describes as this blessed alliance. She says, God created male and female as his image bearers, and he blessed them and then spread before them this global mandate to rule and subdue on his behalf. According to Genesis, male-female relationships are God's kingdom strategy, designed to be an unstoppable force for good in this world. Yeah, I think that's God's vision for leadership. Now, we know it got ruptured in Genesis chapter 3. But, you know, we still get glimpses of God's original vision, right? Even in the broken world, we get these little glimpses. We actually see it in Scripture. Ruth, Boaz, Deborah and Brock, Mary and Joseph. And in honor of the late RBG, I would suggest we saw in her marriage too. Yeah, the blessed alliance. It existed and it still exists. And there are a lot of real-life examples. Can you think of any? Again, we'd really like to hear. It would be encouraging for all of us to know, hey, you know what? There are examples of the Blessed Alliance out there, especially during this wearisome season. So the question they were posed is, do women make better leaders? And they said, absolutely. And I think, well, maybe. But studies do show that women tend to lead differently. And although that difference is somewhat small, it might be exactly what we need to lead this country at this time in history. I'm reading a whole lot of books right now. You're going to hear me mention them all the time because I've got about 25 and I'm running through them. 
And one of the books I'm reading is called The Silent Sex, Gender Deliberation in Institutions. And it's all about why women don't speak up and how their silenced voices impact policies and politics. And I have to be honest with you, um, I hope the authors aren't listening, I find it a little boring because there's a whole lot of stats. Uh, But one thing that they conclude that I find very interesting is this. They say that women tend to have stronger, a stronger tendency toward cooperation and caring for others. They have more empathy than men. They are more likely to cooperate when there is no strategic incentive to do so. They are more reluctant to endorse force or coercion than men. They tend to be more religious and more oriented toward community standards and morals, and they are more responsive to social sanctions. While men and women share much in common, and while women can disagree with each other on many issues, women nevertheless tend to have political priorities that differ from men. And here's those differences. Women, more than men, tend to favor and prioritize the needs of those who are vulnerable, disadvantaged, poor, exploited, and stigmatized. Let me say that again. Vulnerability, disadvantaged, poor, exploited, and stigmatized. You know, when I list those out, it kind of sounds like someone else we know, doesn't it? Yeah, that sounds a lot like Jesus. And so I went down this rabbit hole of why I would pick a woman and why that woman would be Mary. And I remember, I remember taking notes at this gathering in Dallas. So while I was down in the rabbit hole, I got on Google Drive and I I looked for my notes because I take pictures of my notes and then I file them. And voila, I found them. And I had written down those characteristics that these women felt that made women better leaders. And here's the characteristics they listed. The first one was, she listens. Let me just pause on that. She listens. I think we could use a little bit of that in our presidential election this year. Don't, don't you guys? She listens. She's collaborative and authentic. She serves sometimes to her own detriment. She finds the best in others, and she takes into account all the stakeholders. She's a cheerleader. Those were the characteristics that they said make women better leaders. And I wrote them down on this piece of paper. And right next to it, I wrote the word motherhood. Because they were describing what they think is good leadership. And I was listening to them thinking, well, what you just described was motherhood. And I wondered about Mary, especially how her mothering developed in her the skills that would make her a great president of the United States of America. And now stick with me here because I'm going to do a little midrashing. Yes, I think that is actually, midrash is actually a word. Midrashing may not be but I like it. Midrashing is my way of saying I'm going to do some storytelling from the sacred text and add a little sarcasm and snark along the way. So Mary's motherhood perhaps primed her to be a leader in the first century church. Yeah, you heard me right. Mary was a leader in the early church. And I got to be honest, I had never been taught that in seminary, nor have I ever heard it preached from a pulpit, not an evangelical pulpit. But it turns out She was actually a leader, and so were other women. And I wasn't told that, and I bet you weren't either. And it wasn't until I read Scott McKnight's book, again, another book, read this one a while back, I highly recommend it, The Real Mary. 
And when I read his book, The Real Mary, my eyes opened up to Mary's leadership. Scott points us to Acts 1, 14, which I've read before and totally missed it. And here's what it says. Now, this is, by the way, just in case you don't remember chronologically what's happening in the scriptures and this storyline, Jesus has died, he's ascended, and they are all, all of his followers are, are hanging out in Jerusalem waiting for him to send the Holy Spirit. Acts 1, 14 picks up from there. They all meet together and were constantly united in prayer, along with Mary, the mother of Jesus, several other women, and the brothers of Jesus. Right, so Jesus has ascended. They're waiting in Jerusalem. And Mary is present in that inner circle of leaders. And Luke mentions her name. Pick up on that. He mentioned her by name. And when you see that in scripture, it indicates that that person is important. That person is influential. Potentially, that person is a leader. And then Scott goes on to show us things in the scripture about Mary that, again, I've read a million times, missed the evidence of it pointing to her as a leader. Like he suggested that as mother, as the mother, Mary would have had great influence on her sons, Jesus and James. So let's start with Jesus. I always like to start with Jesus. Quite frankly, I like to end with Jesus also. Let's start with Jesus. Always good. Scripture tells us that Jesus grew in wisdom and stature. And Scott says, quote, unquote, here I go, I'm quoting, Christians suggest that Jesus was inordinately precocious, knowing everything at birth and needing no instruction. Yet that isn't what the Bible says. Luke says that Jesus grew and developed. If Jesus was fully human, he grew as we grow. He learned as we learn, and he developed as we develop. And we know much of what we know from our parents. And Scott points out that we just have to read Mary's Magnificat to discover the uncanny similarities between what God revealed to Mary and the central themes of Jesus's mission. And where do you think Jesus learned those things? Yes, at his mother's knee. And then there's James' letter which, you know, that's the book of James in the New Testament. And if you read it, again, you're going to find similarities between what Mary said in the Magnificat and what James wrote in his epistle. Things like he says blessings to the poor and he gives stern warnings to the rich. He emphasized mercy and faith and humility and peace and wisdom and oh, how we need that now. James is basically reintroducing the pureness of the Magnificat. And this is probably a message he heard at home his entire life. Scott goes on to suggest that Mary's life occurrences, her stories are mentioned in 217 verses in the New Testament. And perhaps several of the stories that we have recorded in the New Testament are Mary's memoirs. Think about that. After all, she was Jesus' mom, and she knew, and she heard, and she saw things that others weren't as privy to, like the angel Gabriel coming to her and talking about the virgin birth, like Mary's prophecy, I'm sorry, Elizabeth's prophecy, that Mary's baby was indeed going to be the Messiah. The words of the Magnificat, think about that. The people who heard it were Elizabeth and Mary. How did it get in the New Testament? Yeah, because Mary's telling people. 
We have Simon and Anna's prophecy at the temple and Jesus turning water into wine. And these are stories Mary would have been privy to. And what do mothers do? Come on, ladies, those of you who are mothers, what do we do? We talk about our kids a lot. I think Scott's right. I think Mary was a leader in the early church. And I wonder if her leadership was developed while mothering our Messiah. Is it possible that that's what gave her the skills to raise the best leader in the universe, Jesus? And I wonder, in light of her living in a patriarchal society, did she bump into gender bias in the early church? Did she too, like so many of us, experience sexual harassment solely because she lived in a female body? Did the male disciples find her too much, too loud, too powerful? See, I think Mary would make a great president because she would understand, unlike any others of the 45 we've had, what it means to work in a male-dominated world and to walk around feeling vulnerable solely because we are embodied in a female body. See, I think Mary would bring that to the table. And we know, we know, we know, we know there are bias against female presidential candidates. You know that, right? It's a real thing. And I'm sure that Mary would not be exempt. And I would, I'm just so curious this week as I've been playing with this in my head, how would social media have, have, have played her out? The, the news outlets, what would they say about her? What about you and I? How would we frame her story? Scripture frames it for us in Luke 1, 26 through 28. That's where we're introduced to this candidate. And here's what the scripture says. God sent an angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Take note of that. It matters. Gabriel appeared to her and said, greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. And I just want to stop right there. The Lord is with you. You know how we evangelicals have this thing where we tell people that our candidate that was chosen for presidency is God's chosen one. Have you noticed that we evangelicals do that a lot? Yeah, this president, because I chose this president, right? This is the one I like. So therefore, if that president becomes, presidential candidate becomes the president, well, it's God's chosen one, the favored one, the blessed. We say stuff like this. We don't say it when the other guy is elected. Personally, I think it makes us look a little hypocritical, and perhaps we should start to hold our tongue about this kind of conversation. It's embarrassing. But if we elected Mary, maybe we could actually say it because God actually said it. I mean, it's right there in the Bible. She's favored by him. Iowa would like a president who's favored by God, and actually God said it. The angel tells Mary that she'll conceive and give birth to a son and name him Jesus. And it says that Jesus will be very great. Very, very, very great. The scriptures use words like that. It's not a superlative when it's talking about Jesus. You know what a superlative is, right? It's this exaggerated expression. Like something is amazing or it's spectacular. Steve is famous for using superlatives. He always says, and if my kids are listening, you know what he says, whether it's what he's eating or the city we're visiting or the place we're traveling to, right? It's the best in the 
universe, not the world, the universe. And yes, my kids and I, we roll our eyes like, really, dad? Like the whole universe, best in the whole universe? See, I've been trained um, as a preacher to not use superlatives, to only use them rarely when you really, really want to make a point. And I teach that to my students, right? Don't use superlatives only when you want to emphasize a point. Now, you know where I'm going, right? Because whether you like Trump or not, he needs to stop using so many superlatives. If Mary were elected president, we could actually say, it's very good. I mean, it's very, 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 very good. And we could say it and mean it, and it would carry weight. I am so done with superlatives, people. Everything is not the best in the universe. And when I see in Luke is a dialogue between this woman who's courageous, she has courageous and relentless faith. She's told she's going to have a baby out of wedlock, an event that could cost her her life. And she responds to that news. And I've never still been able to get my hands around her response. I've tried. I've noodled on it. I've examined every single word I have in the original language. I've prayed to Jesus to help me. Under, like her response after being told this news that she's going to have a baby that could get her killed is, I'm the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. Now that is faith. And the rest of her life she acts out that truth day in and day out. Faith is, is like saying amen at the end of a prayer, like you're done talking. You've said your peace to God, and now you're putting the matter into his hands. And Mary is a woman who entrusts herself to God regardless of the outcome. So if we elect Mary, we probably could raise the bar on our public discourse about faith and politics. And man, I'm a little ready for that aren't you? Later, when Mary visits her cousin, Elizabeth, Elizabeth says to Mary, you are blessed because you believed that the Lord would do what he said. And out of Mary's mouth comes this hymn of prophecy. It's prophecy. And remember I said earlier in Jesus's mission and James' writings that they have similarities to this prophecy, this, this thing that we call in scripture Mary's Magnificat. And here's what Mary says. It's in Luke 146 through 56, if you don't know. Oh, how my soul praises the Lord, how my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he took notice of this lowly servant girl, and from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one is holy, and he has done great things for me. He shows mercy from generation to generation to all who fear him. His mighty arm has done tremendous things. He has scattered the proud and the haughty ones. He has brought down princes from their thrones and exalted the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away with empty hands. He has helped his servant Israel and remembered to be merciful. For he made his promise to his ancestors, to Abraham and his children forever. Every time I read those words, I get goosebumps. This took guts. This is Mary basically belting out that Herod and Caesar are about to be dethroned because King Jesus is on his way. And that, that kind of talk, well, that can get her killed. And I was thinking about Pat Robinson's prophecy this past week. Did any of you hear it, read it? 
Yeah, he told us that Trump is going to win the election. And here's the deal. He's got a 50-50% chance of being right, right? He should have just stopped right there. But he didn't. He went on to say, after Trump's election, we're going to be at war with either China, North Korea, Russia, or the Turks. And after Trump is sworn in, we're going to have civil disobedience like we've never seen before. And there will be two attempts on the president's life. And then he says that we'll also, um, in this process of this confusion, there will be the fulfillment of Ezekiel 38. And then there will be a war against Israel. And then a long period of peace. And then an asteroid that destroys the world. We need better prophecy, Pat. I like Mary's prophecy. And I like the way Amy Smith Carmen describes it. She says Mary's hymn, A Prophecy of Jesus' Significance, emphasizes women, the poor, the reversal of fortunes, and the fulfillment of God's promises. Mary's song juxtaposes the, the mighty and the rich against the lowly and hungry. The former are put down while the latter are exalted. This is the core of Luke's gospel. Jesus is good news to all, but especially to those who have none. Luke places this special emphasis on those that are on the peripheral, characteristic characters who oppose Jesus' desire, honor, and exclude the less fortunate and socially unacceptable. The Magnificat is more than a joyous sense of praise, scene of praise. It is an integral part of the introduction to what the good news means. And I think about how divided we Christians are right now. We Christians, not just the country. We Christians, even evangelical Christians, are divided and divisive right now. We align with this policy or that person, or we look at this, and, and, and we look at our brothers and sisters and say, well, if you don't believe in that policy, or if you don't pick that particular president, then you aren't a believer. If you don't vote like me, you can't be a Christian. It's downright disturbing, people. And I wonder, if Mary were president, as the mother of Jesus, would she be able to speak into our lives a fresh vision? Would she perhaps be able to say to all of us Christians, hey, let me remind you of who my son is and what the good news brings to this world? See, I sense that if Mary were my president and she prophesied, I'd trust her. I'd trust her way over Pat. But that's just for me. As president, unlike any other president we've ever had, I think that Mary would really understand the nuances and consequences to the phrase, my body, my choice, which again is a very divisive statement in America today, isn't it? But just hang on for a minute. Let me, let me just like stretch that out a little bit and help you see maybe how Mary would hear that. My body, my choice. Because she lived in a very high patriarchal society, a social system that privileged men over women, understanding that women's bodies are not their own. They are not their own. They are legally owned by other people, particularly men, father, husband, sons. Nowadays, when we hear that statement my body, my choice, we actually go right to the abortion debate. But it in, in its original, and this is what I think we probably need to understand, the origin was way broader than that. It means you, you women out there listening, it means you have a say over issues that impact your life, your body, like domestic violence, 
marital rape, child brides, whether or not you can even take birth control without your husband's permission. Do you know that it wasn't that long ago in America that we women didn't have a say over our body? Do you know that there are many women around the globe who don't have a say over their body? See, my body, my choice is actually about more than the abortion issue. But speaking of the abortion issue, I think Mary might have something to say to us about that too. Because, well, she had an unexpected, unwanted pregnancy, didn't she? And I suspect that her personal story would impact her policies and Supreme Court picks. Not perhaps in the way we might think. I'm not sure. But regardless, there's something about this woman, about this woman, a woman, who has these kinds of experiences that makes me want to listen to her, that makes me want her to be our president. Now, just a side note here. (laughs) I think it's really important that we hear female voices speaking to female issues. And I know that so many of you listening, you do too, many of you women have shared that with me. But I want you guys to know that it's not just women that really find it important to have female voices speaking to female issues. I have, I, we have guys that listen to this. We have men. Like my friend Greg recently told me, he said, you know what, it's been the women theologians in my life, like me, and then he listed me right with Rachel Held Evans and Carolyn Custis James, like that's quite the honor. But he said, hey, you three women have shaped my faith more than anyone else. I took that to be a very high compliment. Thank you, Greg. So if you find this kind of podcast where women's voices are being elevated and we are talking and speaking to female issues through the scriptures, if you find that valuable, would you share this with a friend? And would you go over to your podcast platform and subscribe? Yeah, subscribe. That would be a real encouragement for me. So I think about Mary. I think she probably became a very good negotiator, particularly within family and between families, because think about it, she's pregnant out of wedlock to a man whose family is prestigious. Remember, Luke told us he's from the line of David. He doesn't mention Mary's lineage, he mentions David, because, well, Mary's kind of a nobody from nowhere, Nazareth, but Joseph, Joseph comes from King David's lineage. And I wonder, what was it like for Mary and Joseph to break the news to his parents about this unexpected pregnancy? And then in John 7, 1 through 5, we learn that there's this family tension between Mary's boys. The text says that Jesus wanted to stay out of Judea where the Jewish leaders were plotting his death. But as soon as it was time for the Jewish festival of shelters and Jesus' brothers said to him, Leave here and go to Judea, where your followers can see your miracles. You can't become famous if you hide like this. If you can do such wonderful things, show yourself to the world. And then the scripture says, for even his brothers didn't believe him. So yet in Mary's house, between families, she had tension. And then within her own family, she had tension. And so I think Mary as president, she probably could speak to the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, and perhaps she could even help us end our bipartisan bickering. Maybe she could even help you and me navigate with our loved ones over these huge issues like Black Lives Matter, how we should handle the pandemic, mask, no mask, open, close, who we should vote for. 
pro-life, pro-choice. It's tense out there. I'm voting for Mary because a mother, unlike any other, has to learn how to bring peace to her family. And can I hear an amen? And the other reason I'd vote for Mary is because she's a woman of sorrow and suffering. She would definitely challenge our American victorious theology that's rolling around out there right now. One thing I know about people who suffer deeply is they tend to have an enlarged capacity for love. Their hope and their faith are deep. They're as deep as the despair they have encountered. My daughter recently asked me to read Krista Tibbetts' book called Speaking of Faith, and it was a book that impacted her, and she wanted me to read it so that we could talk about it together. Highly recommend it, especially if you're like me and your evangelical roots just aren't quite fitting as well anymore, and yet there's something in you that still longs for this deep, I mean, it's like a heartbeat, deep, authentic, expansive, courageous, relentless faith. You want that. Yeah, Tibbetts, she writes in such a way that oh, she, she addresses it. She taps it. But she says this, particularly about suffering. She said, even the most painful and violent experiences in life demand our full attention. When we are attentive to our own suffering, we will know that, that of others. That knowledge can help break cycles of suffering and violence in the world around us. Let me say that again. Even the most painful and violent experiences of life demand our full attention. When we are attentive to our own suffering, we will know that of others. That knowledge can help break cycles of suffering and violence in the world around us. And her suffering, it started, it started quite frankly, at the temple when she dedicated her baby. And Simon prophesied over Jesus, and he, and he told her that, you know, Jesus was indeed the Messiah, which had to make that mama very happy. We like hearing good things about our kids. But then Simon went on. He said, this child is destined to cause many in Israel to fall, but he will be a joy to many others. He has been sent as a sign from God, but many will oppose him. And as a result, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be re revealed. Now wait for it, because here it comes, the most disastrous thing anybody could say to a mother. This is what the pastor said to the mama on her baby dedication day. He said, and a sword will pierce your very soul. What? And a sword will pierce your very soul. Well, happy mama dedica baby dedication day. That must have been hard for Mary. See, Mary had spoke of Jesus dethroning Herod and Caesar but I doubt she realized at that moment when she proclaimed the Magnificat, the cost. The cost of what she was saying to her and to her son. Because Jesus is going to be king, all right. But the crown wouldn't be made from gold. Nope. It's a crown of thorns. And Mary, like Jesus, would have to grow in her wisdom and understanding. And when I think about this. I really like it. I think it's important for leaders to possess this I don't know characteristic. Rather than pretending that they know it all, that they've got it all right, we need leaders like Mary that say sometimes like, well, geez, I thought I had it figured out, but right now I'm not sure. I think I don't have a clue. This is humility, and we see it in Mary. We see it when Simon says her or she will be pierced by a sword. And we see it again later 
in, in Jerusalem, when she goes back to the temple to find Jesus, remember he gets lost, she's gone for a couple of days, she comes back and she's really mad. Now picture it, this is, this is a Jewish mama, hands on hip, and she says, why have you done this to us? And he responds, you, you know I needed to be in my father's house. And it stops her in her tracks. What did she know about Jesus? That's what she had to ask. Wait, I, I've got to rethink this. She has what Michael Jordan calls coachability. Yeah, I know some of you are going, whoa, did Jackie just use a sports illustration? I know everything came to a halt, didn't it? I did, I did. Actually, my friend Ray sent it to me, and I found out, I was like, oh my gosh, this is so merry. Because Jordan said his best skill was that he was coachable. He was like a sponge and aggressive to learn. Yeah, he and Mary. And we could use a bit more humility and coachability right now, don't you think, in our presidential candidates and our politicians, and let's be honest, in you and me, deep down in our souls, we could use a little of that too. So let me just share again. If this podcast is helping you reshape your view, if it's helping you Um, Actually, if God's using it as a tool to feed your soul or perhaps to find your tribe, would you be willing to share it? Would you be willing to subscribe? I would really appreciate it. Sorrow and suffering are part of Mary's story, both at the cross and at the border. Think about it. Mary is in Bethlehem living this very normal life, and suddenly news arrives, Herod's about to kill her son. Run. Don't say goodbye. Don't pack the house. Run. And in the middle of the night, they do. They start on a trek 429 miles towards the Egyptian border. And I suspect that this event taught Mary how to make really hard decisions. You know, presidents have to do that, right? Actually, we have to do that from time to time. Mary knew that life doesn't throw us, it always throw us these good and bad choices. Sometimes it hurls shit and shittier ones, and Mary's in a shitty decision-making process right now. Luke doesn't elaborate on the journey, but we know from a later story that he tells, the Good Samaritan, that this is a very dangerous trek. There are bandits on the road waiting to rob, beat, rape, and kill. And by the way, it's that way today, too for those who are migrating. And Mary learned on that road how crucial her very existence was dependent upon the hospitality of strangers. How would they treat her along the way? By the way, this is the context, the backdrop, the concept of biblical hospitality. It's more than having a friend over for a meal. I like how one author put it. He said, in antiquity, people had this knowledge that went, bone deep. You felt it in the beat of your heart and your marrow that the moment you stepped out your door into an unkind world, if it weren't for the kindness of strangers, you might not make it home again. The author goes on to say that when we encounter the stranger, we respond either with xenophobia, fear of a stranger, or philoxenia, love of a stranger. Probably didn't pronounce those right, but you got it. Xenophobia, Then when we reject the adventure of getting to know this stranger, that's what it means. We slam the door shut. We might throw up a wall. We might attempt to kill or cage or drive this stranger out. If we respond instead with philoxenia, we might invite the stranger inside, feed them, hear their story, their music, and answer the call to an adventure. See, in antiquity, people understood you shelter people 
because someday you might need to be sheltered. And that's exactly what God is saying in Leviticus 19, 33 through 34. When a stranger resides in your land, you shall not oppress the stranger. The stranger who resides with you shall be with you as a citizen among you, and you shall love the stranger as yourself. For you were strangers in the land of Egypt, and I, the Lord, am your God. See, Mary was counting on Leviticus' hospitality. Her life and her life, son's life depended on it. So in light of her experience, what do you think Mary might bring to the discussion table about immigration, refugees, kids in cages, kids taken from their parents at the border? Yeah, see, Mary, she's got a lot of life experience and deep faith. But perhaps the greatest testament to her qualifications to lead this great country of the United States is that she mothered the Messiah. And when I consider who Jesus grew up to be, well, she must have been some kind of mother because he is the greatest leader, not just of the three free world, but of the whole wide world. Now, this might be where Steve is right, of the whole universe. When I saw my pastor's friend's playful post on Facebook, it was the day that I actually voted. And when I put my ballot in that machine, I actually almost cried. I'm not a big crier, but I started to well up. I felt like I wanted to cry. And I really wasn't prepared for that. And I realized it was a deep sense of gratitude and also exhaustion. Gratitude because people fought for me so that I could have my voice counted. I could vote. I mattered. And I can't even explain to you how visceral that is for me. Yes, so I felt extreme gratitude. I also felt exhaustion. Because, you know, the pandemic, Black Lives Matter, the presidential election, it's been exhausting. So my friend didn't know it, nor did he intend it, But pretend play was exactly what this woman needed. So yeah, I'm voting Mary for president. Hey, if you've enjoyed this conversation, then hop on over to themarcellaproject.com and sign up for our email or check out some of our other resources. You can also find me on the Marcella Project Facebook page or on every other platform of social media as Jackie Reese, R-O-E-S-E. Have a great day.